So welcome back to our podcast, Royal Ascot, A New Age in Style. Now, as you know, we're taking you on a journey through six episodes, introducing you to the leading lights, the most significant names within style at Royal Ascot. And today's guest is truly part of the tapestry of what makes Royal Ascot a destination for fashion lovers, home to bespoke design and true craftsmanship. He has made hats for rock stars to royalty, worked with some of the most visually exciting and provocative fashion designers in the world. He is considered as one of the most important and radical milliners of the late 20th and early 21st centuries. And he is, of course, leading British milliner, Mr. Stephen Jones. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm fine, fine. Lovely at home here in Battersea. Looking forward to Ascot. Absolutely. Not so far away now. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here with us today. Um, I just have to proceed this interview by saying, you know, I'm really pleased to have this opportunity to say on a podcast, because hopefully lots and lots of people are listening, that whenever your name is mentioned in the industry, it's often somebody says, isn't Stephen lovely? Isn't he calm? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just intrigued how you managed to do that in such a crazy, frenetic industry that you managed to keep so calm and serene. It's all about illusion. That's what fashion's about, and that's what I'm about too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, it's uh, sort of pedalling fast underneath, but on the surface, it all looks very sort of serene. Oh my God, yes. I glide like a swan, but underneath, you know. Pedalling like Billio. Pedalling like Billio, yes. Like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess with the event season all opening up and all of the, you know, amazing things that are happening, our world feels like it's sort of getting the weddings back on and the races. You, know, you must be incredibly busy right now. Yeah, I mean, it has been. Obviously, last year, everything was on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are so looking forward, so anticipating weddings, uh, christenings, all the different things. And of course, all the race meetings, most important one being Royal Ascot. Uh, So we're very, very busy at the moment. The phone doesn't stop ringing. Uh, Emails keep, you have new mail (laughs) all the time through Instagram, through every different media channel. That's also the extraordinary thing. Whereas before everybody used to just phone up Mm -hmm. or drop in. Now we're having communications from everywhere. And all over the world, because it it doesn't matter if you're in America or you're in China or whatever. You know, the the world is is a global place. Immediately connect with each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it feels so good, doesn't it? Just suddenly this feeling and this injection of life back in where we've obviously, for all the important reasons, the pause button has been there. But just this feeling of just connecting again and looking forward to things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think somehow as well, hats really encapsulate that feeling. They are, you know, the, the ultimate clothing novelty, the ultimate clothing frivolity. And somehow they're a symbol of good times. They certainly absolutely are. Now, obviously, we want to speak to you about hats and do that deeper dive into your extraordinary career. But I guess for those listening, I think everyone would be so fascinated to hear how your story started, Stephen. You know, if you can indulge us a little, how what was that first introduction to hats and millinery? Well, it was really completely by mistake. I was, at, uh, when I was a little boy in the 1960s, like every other right-minded boy, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, <laughs> But, but then what happened, I went to fashion school, but I couldn't sew. 
and my tailoring tutor took pity on me and I became an intern in his haute couture house in the tailoring workroom. But after a few weeks, I realised there was a millinery workroom next door and I asked for a transfer from one department to another and it was quite a unique moment uh, after the first day and uh, never looked back in a way. But it, it wasn't only because I wanted to do hats. I mean, I was doing, I have to say, I was doing women's wear at St. Martin's School of Art, at Central mm-hmm. St. Martin's, as it's called now. And um, hats, of course, were part of my language. I, I knew about hats. My mother, my grandmother wore hats to church. I wore a school cap. Uh, we wore a boater in the summer actually, uh, which is a, a fantastic weapon, I have to say, to boys <laughs> in the other school next door. <laughs> if you throw them, they can quite injure you. <laughs> I mean, I just think that uh, initial, you know, a happy accident, if you will, and then look what happened to this extraordinary career. But mm-hmm. you know, what was your scene in London at that time, how, how, you know, who are you gravitating towards? How are you spending your time socially? You know, who were the people that you were hanging out with? What was, just paint the picture a little bit for us. Well, yes, I was doing fashion at St. Martin's, but really I was a club kid. Yes, I wanted to make lovely clothes and lovely hats, but I wanted to go to the fantastic party too. And I became friendly with a whole group of people and I started going out, um, to clubs and things and really the most important thing was I went to the Blitz Club which was a club being run by a friend of a friend of mine this guy called Steve Strange Mm -hmm. and this is where everybody really dressed up in in the intervening years it's actually become very famous as a really birthplace of a whole new generation of creative people I mean there were people like well, obviously, Steve, there was Boy George, who was the cloakroom boy at that point. There was Bando Ballet, who were just hanging out there. There was Duran Duran. Uh, David Bowie came down there. Very famously, Mick Jagger was actually refused entry because um, <laughs> he, was, he was thought of being a bit of an old codger. Of course, the <laughs> arrogance of 19-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just... I can really, I remember that time in London and I'm just sort of fascinated by, you you know, the create, the colourful creative people that started to become very attracted to your, your work and your vision. You know, obviously you mentioned Boy George there, but, you know, who else, who were those other really exciting creatives that you started to collaborate with to sort of, you know, demonstrate or articulate their creative vision by by the use of uh, really powerful millinery? I mean, all sorts of people, lots of people from the music world, you know, it could have been Annie Lennox as well. And so, mm. so, so many other people. It was funny at one point going to see Stephen, if you're a pop star, uh, the people from the record label would say, oh, we'll go along to Stephen Jones and you'll get yourself a ni- nice new hat. I mean, that's exactly what happened to the singing duo Mel and Kim many, many years ago. <laughs> but that was one side of the work that I was doing. The other side of the work was I was making hats for ladies who lunch and ladies who were race goers and the landed gentry of Britain. And also, this was a very interesting thing, though very much an international clientele, because so often, you know, Americans would want to go to a formal event in in Britain and they wouldn't know what to wear. So, yes, they would come to me for a hat, but they'd come to me for a little bit of education as well mm-hmm. as to what was the appropriate thing to wear. And obviously, if they were going to a wedding, I'd say, Yes, you can wear something spectacular, but remember, you're not the bride. 
or the bride's mother. And similarly, if you were going to Ascot, you know, this is a, a few days to really shine mm. and the characteristic of each particular day and ladies day and maybe dress up more on that day. And the, 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 so the, the different nuances between the, the, the different events in the British social calendar. So that, that was great sort of being the center of everything. And, Probably at that time, my most important client, well, without question, my most important client was Diana, Princess of Wales, who mm. I met through Jasper Conran. And I made many hats for her, often hats which weren't for her public appearances. They were sometimes for her private life, too. So um, they tended to be slightly more informal. Um, but she was wonderful and uh, a, a, a great friend and this was really at the beginning of her marriage but it was quite strange at that time that i'd be seeing some sort of punk princess and then <laughs> in the afternoon i'd be seeing a real, the real princess <laughs> the real princess and yes. um, was diana just loads of fun because obviously you know we, we admire her style and she is an icon a true icon globally i just imagine that sort of sense that whimsical eccentricity and and that fun that you need to really enjoy hats in the way that she delivered it so well yes she did and she also had grown up in world of hats she knew how to wear a hat she came from that particular section of society that hats were really de rigueur for for formal events mm. so but she really liked to experiment and play i mean she loved fashion she loved she knew as we did as club kids, that fashion was a method of expression, mm -hmm. that hats were a method of self-expression, that you could reflect your character in your hat, or you could also reflect the person who you wanted to be as opposed to who you are. Um, you know, hats are so much about dressing up and putting on a bit of a costume. Yes, for 364 days of the year, you can be a mum, but... Um, on the one day that you and your friends are going to Royal Ascot or a formal event, you can be a complete glamour I love it. I love it. So obviously on to Royal Ascot. I mean, runway to the races. I know, obviously, our work together previously is where I'm sort of finding you backstage at big fashion shows and trying to grab a quick interview, but similarly finding you in amongst that creative foray at Royal Ascot. So how yes. did that very special relationship start? Well, I think my relationship with Royal Ascot was, I remembered, uh, I remember as, as a young child, my parents used to go to Royal Ascot. They were invited by a very famous politician called Selwyn Lloyd, who was our local MP. Um, and I remember my mother for literally six months beforehand going into a complete panic about what she was going to wear. And of course, <laughs> the, the, the ultimate symbol of panic was the hat. You know, is it big enough? But anyway, so that was my my first uh, instance with it. And also, I remember watching the nine o'clock news um, on the BBC or the 10 o'clock news on ITV and seeing Mrs. Schilling, Mrs. Gertrude Schilling, the mother of uh, David Schilling, who was a famous milliner. And she always used to wear the most extravagant hats. You know, it could be like, we must join the EU, or it could have been like a space rocket, uh, or there was one which was like a giant giraffe. And she was normally the, the last thing on the news to cheer everybody up after the doom and gloom which was being proclaimed. And my mother would always sort of walk past the television and say, oh, 
that dreadful woman, which of course made me love her even more. <laughs> even more. <laughs> Always been drawn to those very strong women, I know. Um, yes. I mean, many say, talking about strong women, that the royals set the tone for that correct attire at Royal Ascot. And I know from my opinion, when I kind of look back at those 1950s sort of Princess Margaret images, I just thought that she, for me, was the epitome of style. And she also looked like she was having an awfully good time. So who would be, uh, in your opinion, Stephen, who's the one who's out of the royal household who does it the best? Of course, the, the royal family all wear hats because they are going to official events, whether it's a church service or launching a ship, and especially attending race meetings. Um, and I think the ultimate person really has to be the Maj- Her Majesty the Queen, um, because when she grew up, hats were absolutely part of what she was wearing in her everyday outfit. Uh, really, hats were not seen, uh, hats were as essential as a pair of shoes or a handkerchief. Mm. So she has continued to wear hats throughout her reign and Obviously, she wears them to be noticeable in the way that she often wears a bright colour. So she, for really, for me, is really the ultimate hat wearer. And also, I think that's why hat making and millinery as a professional as a series of artistic creations has still exists in Britain today in the way that it does not exist in France or in Germany or Italy uh, or really in America. It's really because of the Queen. And uh, here in the UK, we look up to her as a, as a symbol of um, the essence of, of formal dressing. Mm-hmm. And we t- all take our cue from her. And I think all other members of the royal family also take their cue from her too. Hence that international audience looking for that education yeah. piece. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. to get that barometer of currently where we are now in the world of hats because i felt for a little time maybe it was sort of you know only really reserved for those sort of special occasions however in my circle definitely in the last sort of 10 years i'm seeing so many more hats being worn yeah. so what from what do you see from your observation obviously on a daily basis well hats were only seen as a, as something for formal dressing but now if you go into any shop if you go onto any online store mm-hmm. there's always a hat mm-hmm. uh it seems to be that hats just a, 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 another accessory of course a formal hat is for a special occasion but people were, might wear hats on a monday morning because their hair isn't working they might wear a little hat to going out to a, a party or a club or something like that you know hats are really about having fun and maybe if you don't feel so fun yourself um if you put a hat on you'll certainly appear as though you're having fun <laughs> hats can speak it's, it's wonderfully transformative like that and also everybody will say to you oh you look wonderful in that hat or why good heavens you're wearing a hat and yes you can be at the center of attention but also and this is a very interesting point especially as seen as like great hat wearers like Anna Piaggi or the late Isabella Blow, that hats can do the talking for you because hats are such a great communicator. For example, if you're, you're a comedian and you had to tell a story of different characters, you'd probably swap your hats. You wouldn't swap your clothes. So therefore, if you want to be demure, you can wear a cloche. If you want to be extravagant and sexy, you can wear a lot of feathers. If you want to be sweet, you can have flowers. Hats are this uh, totally transformative. And that's also something that I don't only use in the formal hats that I make for places like Royal Ascot, but also when I'm working with fashion designers like Dior or Tom Brown or something for their fashion shows, because 
putting a hat on will give very much a particular flavour to a mm. garment, to an outfit. Mm-hmm. It's that finishing accent or sometimes the starting yeah. narr- part yeah. of the narrative. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, it can be finishing because it can be completing on, on, a, on a fashion show. It can be completing a particular look. But maybe you have a whole stream of extravagant black dresses, but then the designer wants to show a little black dress, very, very minimal. So then you put an extravagant hat with it. That's mm. how a fashion show is put together. I love it. I love all the theatre. So, I mean, obviously, you have so many years of, of, you know, journeys with Royal Ascot. If you had to select one, when you think back, what would you say has been the most memorable Royal Ascot for for you, Stephen, and why? I think the most memorable one, funnily enough, was not to do with hats. I had to judge the best get-up horse. When you say get-up, the one which is most beautifully looked after, most beautifully polished, the best turned out. And I went into the parade ring and chose the horse that I thought was best and had to present, um, actually, the the stable boy with a cup uh, and... uh, he, he he was completely amazed by the, uh, the entire thing which was going on, the fact that he was being <laughs> broadcast to the nation and around the world and to the Ascot race course. And he had a, 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 a great shiny suit on that, unfortunately, as he was leading his horse into the parade ring, the horse sneezed on the arm of his suit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know as oh. they say never work with animals or children but i think that that was the most notable <laughs> royal ascot i had but every you know every time it's a surprise every time because often so often those people i don't see for the entire year but i see them at ascot so it's great to see friends again it's great to see people who are all dressed mm. up and it's funny you know sometimes people say oh this person looks vulgar or this person looks very chic or sophisticated you know sometimes when somebody is wearing red and green and yellow stripe zebra stripes or something like yeah yes they're a bit garish but they're having a great time Mm -hmm. so who am i to judge that they're incorrectly dressed of course you know they won't be on the cover of the newspaper as the most beautiful person there but in their heads, if they're having a great time, well, hey, why not? Especially now, because I think that people have a real need and want to dress up. You know, people are, I think people are a bit bored wearing hoodies behind a Zoom telephone call, and that's it. 100%. I mean, you know, dressing up is just an awfully good tonic. You know, it makes mm, us feel yeah, totally. on top of our game. I mean, if we're looking at maybe the most important hat in, in, in racing history, Royal Ascot, or indeed just something that you just absolutely love. I've heard you mention Audrey Hepburn from My Fair Lady yes. and that very, yes. you know, classic black and white. But are there any kind of hats that sort of come to mind when you say what was, what's been the most important historic hat? Well, obviously, uh, Audrey Hepburn's from My Fair Lady. In fact, all the hats from that particular scene, um, Ascot opening day, uh, are are extraordinary. But I think if I look back in history, which are the most important hats? Yes, there can be important extravagant hats by myself or by um, Philip Tracy or Noel Stewart. There's the whole series of hats worn by the Queen in extraordinary colours that, of mm. course, the bookies take bets on every year. And I, I love this as a, how fashion could sort of 
percolate into uh, into the human consciousness. I think probably the most extraordinary and beautiful hats are, in fact, the ones which inspired um, Cecil Beaton to create the hats for My Fair Lady, which was Black Ascot, uh, I think, in 1910. And it was when Edward VII has, had died, and he was a great race-goer. And normally they would have cancelled uh, uh, such a public event. But because he was a race-goer, they decided to run it, but that everybody had to wear mourning. So because everything was going to be black on black, the silhouettes became extraordinary. And there's a whole series of photographs that you can find online of this uh, beautiful Ascot, uh, which I use as inspiration every season, and I have done for 40 years now that I've been making hats. Now, obviously, for Royal Ascot, even for those who have never attended, they know that there are certain rules and expectations and social taboos. So mm-hmm. what are the do's and don'ts for hat wearing at Royal Ascot? Because obviously, you know, it, uh, from my perspective, it's about feeling good in the hat that yes. you're wearing. So the, the, the hat's not wearing you, you're wearing the hat. But what advice can we have from Stephen Jones? Hat advice. Well, first of all, it has to be, if you're going into the royal enclosure, it has to be a hat, not a fascinator. So therefore, it needs to be substantial. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is attending Royal Ascot, or indeed any race meeting, they need to go out and, if possible, try things uh, on and really see what suits them. Take a little hand mirror with you so you can see what you look like from the sides and back. Mm -hmm. And probably go alone. Don't go with your friends. Because... Your friends will always tell you how they think you should look, not really how you want to look. And they always say about their vision of you as opposed to your vision of you. So I think it's quite good to go shopping alone, even though maybe sort of for for a fitting or when you actually go to buy the hat, uh, it's fun to go with them. But when you take the hat home, wear it at home, wear it during the cooking, during the washing up, not exactly (laughs) taking the children to school, but just get used to it. Most people freak out about when they're wearing a new pair of jeans, let alone when they're wearing a hat. So you need to find the balance. How how is your hair going to work with it? Do you need to go to the hairdresser? Um, Just to get used to it, because the final effect you want to look is that you're completely at home in that hat, mm. that almost you've forgotten about the hat. You're not a show pony. You're this person who wants to have a good time and feel completely relaxed and one of the best days of the year. So getting to know your hat, it becoming your friend, is crucially important. I think that that is such wonderful advice. So this, uh, imagining all these sort of pre-race season, you know, fabulous creatures running around doing their domestic chores with their, yes. you, know, their you know their chosen hat on that's great to visualize yeah, yeah. mow the lawn with your hat on why not <laughs> go and buy some frozen peas with your hat yes. on um so Stephen, obviously the world is changing around us and fast and you know fashion has taken a real kick in the last year particularly um and our theme this year at royal ascot is sustainability and we're obviously mm-hmm. very encouraging of this approach to buy less and buy better. How does the millinery industry support this theme of buying quality? Obviously, it's innate in millinery that it's not using much fabric, it's not using very many resources to have 
an extraordinary and extravagant effect. Yes, we can recycle materials, we can cut up clothes and remake them. In fact, when I first started, because I couldn't afford to buy fabric, I used to go down to Oxfam and buy old hats and buy old clothes and remake them into hats. Mm. I didn't do that for the Princess of Wales, by the way. <laughs> um, nor Spando Ballet, nor Roy George. The other side of it is people never throw hats away. Hats are always passed around friends and family. So if you worn something one year, you know, your friend might say, oh, can I borrow that hat that you wore last year? You might wear it for a wedding. Now, hats are always imbued with so much, so many special memories that people never really want them, want to throw them away. Um, so I think sustainability, yes, absolutely. They are sustainable because they are valued. And when we talk about quality, of course, the hats can have quality themselves so they don't fall apart. But an essential part of that quality is that they're imbued with those magical feelings, which mean that they aren't disposed of. You know, they're not put in the recycling clothes bank. Um, they're, they're just never, ever thrown away. I think also just this idea of, like you just mentioned, this idea of uh, a new lease of life, you know, our pre-loved pieces and how we can give them another chapter, a whole new yes. journey. So what advice, what what are the tricks and tips that you can suggest to give your hat that might be, a, you know, something that fits very well, you absolutely love, you've got loads of memories. What would you suggest that we can do to take it out again and use it on other formal occasions? Well, obviously what you need to do is make sure that it's well packed so if possible, and if it came in a box, try and keep it in its original hat box. And of course, hat boxes take a lot of space. So if you've got a loft, put it there or try and squeeze it underneath the bed. Um, but uh, if it's a, if it's a, got a bows or flowers, try and wrap them up in a little bit of tissue paper. When you take it out of the packing, often it'll be a little bit squashed or won't look so fresh. But if you just leave it in the open air, don't steam it, don't iron it or something like that. It will gradually, after a few days, go back into shape. And if it still hasn't, maybe just leave it in the bathroom for a couple of days and the humidity from a bath or a shower will start to relax the fabrics. But I think you probably won't have that uh, time to do that because your friend will be coming around and say, oh, that's such a lovely hat. Now it's my daughter's wedding in two months' time. Could I borrow that, please? Could I borrow that, please? Now, yes. those that are familiar with your work may have seen your spectacular exhibitions at the V&A and the Royal Pavilion in Brighton, for example, mm -hmm. and they know that you're a storyteller and that your headpieces yeah. are a medium to channel these narratives. With that mm -hmm. said, what sort of stories tend to make their way into your design for this very special and sometimes eccentric calendar date? Well, the story that finds its way in is the story of Royal Ascot itself, which is of extravagance, of display. You know, originally when Queen Anne um, in created uh, Ascot Racecourse, it was very much somewhere for dressing up. And people used to dress up their carriages, not only what they were wearing themselves, and eventually people would dress to, to uh, coordinate with their carriages. So it was a whole sort of panoply of extravagance and show. Mm. And it was so interesting. A few years ago, I had to do a talk to the friends of the V&A, and I did on Royal Ascot, and I went down to Ascot to look at their library. And in their cuttings books, they had cuttings from the 
the Times from 1800. And uh, there was a quote from Lady, I can't remember who it was, and said that uh, one had to be reminded that Royal Ascot was actually a race meeting and not merely an excuse to show off your latest toilette or your hamper from Fortnum and Masons. <laughs> the... The fashion industry, as we've mentioned, it's a very, very complex time. And obviously, having worked with so many leading designers globally, what would you say, Stephen, that you can see on the horizon for the fashion industry? Well, fashion is a great communicator. Whether it's high fashion or it's just your appearance, it's an essential part of how we communicate. Mm. Um, if we carry on doing lots of Zoom calls, it's a very good future for jackets and hats. I mean, not so good for skirts and shoes. Sorry, Manolo. Sorry, Christian Louboutin. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think fashion as an expression of optimism, of a new life, of a new world, uh, I think it's really going to take its part there. And, I mean, there's certain specific things, sort of extravagance, colour, happiness, and prettiness. Now, I think at the moment, um, people don't necessarily want to look gothic or look necessarily super chic. I think they want to look as though they're having a good time and they're enjoying life. You know, we are, we have to remember that during this pandemic, so many people have passed away and so many people have had terrible times, whether they've got ill or just whether they're stuck at home and can't do anything. So, we're the lucky ones. Um, and so therefore, I think our optimism and um, the fact that in a way we're blessed, uh, need, we need to show that in our clothing. And I think that's what people want to express. I guess just the sustainability messaging, because obviously, as we say, you know, it's a volume and um, vast production uh, concern that has the biggest impact on, on planet and, and people. Mm -hmm. Of course, when we're looking at the, the future trajectory of the industry, where actually more bespoke, uh, you know, more pre-loved pieces have their place. I feel that that's our next chapter where we was, as you say, fashion is reflecting the times. Yeah. And I, I think, obviously, people are really questioning disposable fashion and cheap fashion mm -hmm. and the idea of buying quality and and keeping something for years and years is, is much healthier. But at the same time, people want the novelty of something new. So try it on back to front. Try it on inside out. <laughs> um, dye it. Decorate it. Be creative with what you wear. Mm. So, therefore, you're not necessarily buying you. I mean, I think there's very big problems in the fashion business and sustainability because how much green cotton does the world produce um, is fake fur better than real fur that's mm. uh, made from hydrocarbons. So there are so many different questions. Um, but I think it's just something that you have to be conscious of all the time. And when you are buying something, yes, there is the thrill and the novelty of having something new, but... You have to also consider, do I really need this? Where was this made? How was it made? Who made it? Indeed. Uh, we're becoming a very curious citizen and we are understanding that our money is our power and we need those stories behind the brands that we support. Yes, um, absolutely. I'm, I'm just to close, I just, I'm fascinated by your journey and I always have been. Um, if you could pick just one of the key moments from your career that stands out as a real 
career highlight, what would that be? Oh, there's been a few of them. I mean, obviously, one of them has been um, receiving my OBE from Her Majesty, and I received it for services to millinery. And uh, at the moment, I was the first and the only one, which was extraordinary to receive it for millinery. I think the other time, which was amazing, was in 1985, I was working on a Jean-Paul Gaultier show in Paris. And I always have a tray backstage to carry hats around in. And uh, in this particular sequence of the show, all the girls had the hats on. And I was just waiting backstage. And Jean-Paul handed me the tray and said, I want you to go out on stage. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? You know, I hadn't been to bed for three days. I hadn't shaved. Probably my fly was undone, you know, everything, everything. And and he just pushed me through the curtains and suddenly I was on the runway. And unbeknown to me, he told all the girls to go and take their hats off and put them in my tray. And that's how he introduced me to Paris and the larger world of fashion. And that was an extraordinary time. You know, fashion designers have 10 minutes twice a year to show their goods. And he actually shared his space with me. Well, that says everything about his love of you and how lovely he is. Stephen, thank you. It's been an absolute gigantic pleasure, as always, to speak to you. And thank you for making our world much more exciting because we need occasion and the world is opening up again. And we really look forward to seeing you at Royal Ascot and all of your wonderful creations parading around. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much. 